I, I tell you, I love Thanksgiving, and uh, there's several reasons why. First of all, you can't commercialize Thanksgiving, although someone in my yard does have an inflatable turkey. There's uh, just something wrong about that. But pilgrims aren't very sexy, so it's kind of hard to, hard to commercialize Thanksgiving. I think the other reason is it just has the right focus. Uh, when you think of Thanksgiving, you think of things like family and fireplaces and, and pumpkin pie and eating way too much and taking a long nap after you ate way too much. And in the old days, it was about the Cowboys winning a football game. Today, not so much. But, you know, there's just something about Thanksgiving uh, where you have the right focus. I think the other reason is Thanksgiving, you just naturally think more about other people than you think of yourself. You just, it just kind of happens naturally. But I wonder how many of us, as you sit here this weekend, uh, you're really struggling with, with, the, with the fact that this week is Thanksgiving. In fact, you, you, you would have a difficult time saying that I have a heart of gratitude. And, and I get it. I mean, I, I'm sure some of you could tell your stories or we could get together and talk. You'd say, Mike, if you just understood my situation, like, like Mike, if you knew my wife or if you knew my husband, you know, you'd understand why I, I don't have a grateful heart. Or, or, or if you knew my kids and what I was going through or if you had to work at my job, or Mike, if you could see my finances right now, you would understand why I don't have a very grateful heart. But the reality is that's why we need Psalms like Psalm 103. Uh, it's a great Psalm, but it helps us put everything in perspective. By the way, if you, don't have, if, if you don't have anything to be thankful for, I'm going to only speak a few minutes this weekend. So there you go. Now you have something to be thankful for. But uh, listen to what David said in Psalm 103. Let me just point out a couple of things. He says this, first of all, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praises holy name. So it's like David's talking to himself. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He's like he's reassuring himself. And then he says in verse 2, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. I like the way the New American Standard words it a little better. It says, forget none of his benefits. And then David begins to list some of the benefits. He says, first of all, he forgives all your sins. And the word all is key there. I mean, can you imagine doing something and you're carrying all the weight, you're carrying all the guilt of some kind of disobedience, someplace where you really blew it, and you finally go to God and you ask for forgiveness? What if God were to respond, yeah, not this time? And you realized you had to carry the shame and the guilt the rest of your life. David said, that's not going to happen because he forgives all your sins. I love the way Jeremiah the prophet put it in the book of Lamentation. It says, his mercies are renewed every morning. It's like he pours out his mercies on us and we get up the next day and he's refilled the bucket. They just never ever run out. So he forgives all your sins. And then he says this, he heals all your diseases. And maybe, maybe you've struggled physically. Maybe you've been ill. Maybe you've been sick uh, during 2013. And God does come in and he does do miraculous things in our lives physically. And many of us, we've seen and we've witnessed that. That's not the word that David uses here. He uses a Hebrew word that refers to diseases of the soul. And you would say, well, Mike, what would be a disease of the soul? A lot of what we talked about in our Love Different series over the past few weeks, hatred would be a disease of the soul. Um, uh, strife would be a disease of the soul, uh, stubbornness, or maybe things like pride and resentment, anger, maybe rejection. David says God has a way of coming in and he heals those diseases. He has a way of, of taking them all away. And you're going to see a great story in just a few minutes that really, really talks about that. And then he goes on to say, who redeems your life from the pit. And the word redeem there, I, I've given you the word picture before, but it's this idea of you on the auction block of sin and you're just shackled, you're in bondage to your sin, to your nature, to your past. And one day God walks in and he says, I'm gonna bid and I'm gonna outbid everyone. In fact, I'm gonna pay with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, so that you can be redeemed, so that you can be set free. That's why Romans chapter five, verse eight says, while we were yet sinners, while we were still on the auction block of sin, while we were chained, 
stained in, in our sin and our nature and our past. When we were in that state, God gave his only begotten son to die for us. So David says, he redeems your life from the pit. That's so descriptive. In fact, I think David says later, uh, I could be wrong, chapter 44, verse 8 of Psalms, he says, he, he, he brought me out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a solid rock to stay. That's being redeemed from the pit. And then he says this, he crowns your life with love and compassion. Whenever I think of love and compassion, I, I do think of a little story uh, in the Old Testament, the book of 2 Samuel, about a little baby named Mephibosheth. And, and it, it was during the day Saul was the first king of Israel. He disobeyed God. God said, you're going to lose your reign. He brings up David. David kills Goliath, all those great things. And then David finally conquers Saul, not because he wants to, but because Saul has been trying to kill David ever since he slew Goliath because he was very jealous and suspicious of David. And finally, David brought down the reign of Saul. Now, in those days, when you brought down the king, you wiped out his entire family. You didn't want him to come back and haunt you later on. And so when uh, Mephibosheth, he's just a little baby, when his nurse hears that Saul's kingdom has fallen, she takes Mephibosheth, she wraps him up, and she begins to flee to escape with this little baby. In the process of fleeing, she drops him, and he becomes a crippled little boy. They end up living in a place called Lodabar. It means barren wasteland. I mean, how descriptive is that? And then one day after David had taken the throne, he's walking around and he says, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I could show love and compassion to? And maybe one of his soldiers spoke up and he said, well, we heard there's a little boy, grand, grandkid, not much of a threat, down in Lod to Bar. And David said, go get him. And I often wonder what it was like uh, for Mephibosheth the day he heard the approaching hooves of the horses and he looked out the window and realized it was, it was David's army. And he probably thought, this is it. They finally found me. But it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse uh, 13, that they took him back to Jerusalem where he lived all of his days. And it says he ate at the king's table. See, that's love and compassion. I mean, think about that scene. You got David, and then you got Absalom, who was David's favorite, but he's like beautiful from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. You got Solomon the most brilliant, wisest person who's ever lived. You got beautiful Tamar. You got all of David's children. And then sitting there at the table, this little crippled boy, Mephibosheth. And I thought, man, that was us outside of Christ. I mean, we're on the outside looking in. No way to get into that table. Until one day, the father said, I'm going to pour out my love and compassion on you in the person of my son, Jesus Christ, who's going to forgive you of all your sins. Incredible scene. And then he says this, who satisfies your desire with good things. It's the idea that God, he, he keeps our souls fresh and vital. He, he longs to satisfy us with good things. He has plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Incredible things. Now, I don't understand and don't really know the circumstances that led David to write this psalm. Uh, to be honest with you, when I was younger, I just assumed that maybe it was after a victorious battle. Maybe it was after a time of prosperity as he was expanding the boundaries of Israel. Maybe it was after some a celebration that David sat down and, and he began to write, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. But now that I'm getting a little older, now that I've studied the life of David more and more, I wonder instead of it was at the pinnacle of his life, I wonder if it was maybe in one of those many calamities or heartbreaks that David had to accept and he had to work through in his life. For example, maybe it was during that 14-year period. That's how long it was. That 14-year period where David 
had to run for his life from King Saul. Maybe it was during that 14-year period when he was hiding in one of those caves in En Gedi when he sat down and wrote, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Maybe it was then. Maybe it was after the affair with Bathsheba and all the consequences that followed. Maybe it was after the child died that was conceived during that affair. Or maybe it was after one of David's sons named Amnon raped his half-sister, Tamar. Or maybe it was after Absalom, another one of David's sons, killed Amnon, his own brother, for raping their half-sister. Or maybe it was when Absalom, who was so full of anger and so full of hatred because of how his dad had behaved and, and the ramifications on the family, maybe it was while David was fleeing from the life, his, fleeing for his life, because Solomon ran him off, I mean, Absalom ran him off the throne, and he was running from his own son. Maybe it was during that period of time, or maybe, maybe it was when Absalom was finally killed by one of, one of David's commanders that he wrote, Bless the Lord, all my soul. And don't forget any of his benefits, you know. By the way, you thought your family was dysfunctional. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Does it encourage you to know that this is, the, this is the life of a person who's described in the Bible as being a man after God's own heart? And not once, but twice. That phrase is not used in regards to any other person in the Bible, but David a man after God's own heart. Think about it. He had to endure the, birth of, uh, the death of a baby, the rape of a daughter, the murder of a son, and the attempted coup by his favorite son, Absalom, that ended up with Absalom being killed. I wonder if it wasn't during one of these events that David said, man, I got to put everything back in perspective. And he sat down and wrote, bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And I wonder if it was David's way of saying, regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of the circumstances, I still have so much to be thankful for. This weekend, we're going to try to repair our ungrateful hearts. And we are, and that shouldn't surprise us. Paul wrote a, a little letter to a young man named Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is what it said. He said, Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. The word perilous there in the Greek means savage, vicious times. But if you read the chapter, you'll discover that one of the characteristics of living in those last days is people are ungrateful. So that's just a part. It really is a sign of the times. So we wanted to address our hearts by changing things up a little bit. First of all, we thought it would be a great weekend as we wrap up our This Is Worship series to, to spend a little bit more time worshiping and singing. There's something about singing, the emotion connected with singing that really kind of connects our heart back to God. And then we have some incredible stories that we want to share with you that will maybe help put things in perspective regardless of what's going on in your own life. You know, as we read through Psalm 103 just a few minutes ago, we saw that one of the benefits that we can always count on from God is that he redeems our life. And many of you, your life has been redeemed in this past year. And it, is, it, it hasn't made your life that much easier. In fact, it may have made it harder because now God is taking you on as a project. But I want you to watch this really cool video about one of our young men here at Hope Community Church who in the, just the last few weeks, his life was redeemed. Watch the side screens. My name is Luke Aguilar. I'm a sixth grader at Westlake, and this is the time that I went all in. Hazardous is like a place where you could meet a bunch more friends and learn more about God. Hazardous helped me grow closer to God because of the worship and 
like I persuade people to go, I really want them to go and grow co closer to God. I accepted God um, at Hazardous when Lindell was speaking. If you've never made that decision to ask Jesus into your life tonight, and you sincerely, sincerely want to meet God for the first time tonight, will you pray with me? I said, wow, I should accept God in my heart, and I think it's the best decision anybody can make. I wanted to get baptized because I want to show people that I made that decision to follow Christ and that they should too, because it's the best decision you can ever make in your life. I'm thankful for God because He makes me think of before I do, and He's just amazing. Like, He sent His Son down to earth to die for our sin, so we can go up to heaven when we die for eternal life, if you make that important decision. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is so cool, isn't it? See a young man like that. You know, 80% of people who are followers of Jesus Christ made that decision under the age of 18. That's why it's so important what we do here is we focus on our children in Kid City and our student ministries and Hazardous and Pulse and the many opportunities we have. But would you guys say hi to Jay and Chris Aguilar? This is their son that was up there. And Christy, let me just ask you, so what do you have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving? Well, of course, my son accepting Christ as his Savior um, is the greatest gift to Jay and I. Um, we do pray for our children. We have a 19-year-old and Luke. We've never forced salvation on them. We want it to be a decision that they make personally. And when he did that night, he came home and told us that it was he and God in here. And he, wasn't, he didn't want to be pressured by anybody and he just felt like it was just him and God in this room alone and um, that to us was the greatest thing that he had ever told us and uh, but I just want to say thank you to Hazardous the workers the the ones that are on staff the volunteers they have made it special for those kids it's not it's a time of fun but it's safe and a spiritual walk that they teach our kids and um, Jay and I had the opportunity to come and, and watch, and let me tell you, it's like we were all sitting over here, but when they opened those doors, it was like the running of the bulls, you know, <laughs> in here. But it was awesome, I mean, to watch them, not to get back here in the back seats. They were racing to get up here and worship. It was tr true worship, and um, it was awesome to watch, and it was awesome to see our son worship. And uh, it was, I just want to say thank you. And if your children are not plugged in, get them plugged in. On Sundays or small groups, that's where they get connected with their friends. When he came, he saw his small group and he was done. That was it. Bye, Mom. Drop me off. I'm here. And it's, it's a good thing. And Jay, you know, you got to baptize your son, and it doesn't get much better than that. But, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of families here, and, man, there's nothing... There's nothing better than knowing that your kids have made that decision and you will spend all eternity with them now in heaven. What encouragement would you have uh, for parents that may be new in their faith, maybe their kids are struggling, maybe they don't wanna 
have anything to do with God or religion or come to church? And what encouragement would you have for parents here this weekend? There are probably a lot of parents that uh, have some middle schoolers that uh, think that it's all about me. And I want to encourage some no of the way. parents. <laughs> That's a new slash right there. <laughs> I want to encourage some of the parents to be proactive in your prayer life for your, your children. And uh, listen to what E.M. Bounds said. He said, uh, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. And if you be proactive in praying specifically for your children, each and every one of them, that God would protect them from sins that would scar them, that uh, you would pray that the Holy Spirit would open up their heart, convict them of what they need to do and accept Christ, that is a, that's one of the greatest things you can do for your kids. And, and I'd like to say also, uh, we are blessed to be in this church that has so many volunteers, so many resources that make the middle school ministry one of the best student ministries on the planet. And I don't know, I can't acknowledge all the people that are involved in those student ministries, but you guys are all awesome. And we want to, we want to encourage all the parents to get your kids plugged into the small groups and plugged into to hazardous if you have a middle schooler. It's just a, it's, a, it's a phenomenal ministry. You'll sit back and you'll see what God can do in their life. They'll love it and you'll love it. Thank you guys for being here. I know it's not easy to be up here. Thanks for sharing this with you. Jay and Christy. Man, when your kid is redeemed, that's cool. Doesn't get any better than that. By the way, I hear parents all the time say, oh, I wish my kids would go. They just don't want to. So I assume that when they don't want to go to school, you don't make them, right? And when they don't want to go to soccer practice, you don't make them. Because you don't make them do anything they don't want to do, right? Don't be dumb, parents. Get the kids here to hazardous. It'll be tra it won't just transform them. Man, when, you're, when your junior hire gets his act together, it changes your family dynamic. So take advantage of the opportunities that are here. Now we're going to stand and we're going to worship a little bit more. We're going to sing and we're going to sing a song that I'm really thankful for that Carl wrote. And it's one of my favorite ones he's ever written. Let's stand and worship together as Carl leads us. seated. You know, when I was a kid growing up and we'd have a little bit of a pity party, uh, my dad would always say the same thing your, your parents would say. No matter what you're going through, there's some, somebody who's always going through something worse than you're going through. 
And you know, as I've grown older, I found out that that's actually true. But what's amazing, especially having been a pastor for, I guess, 30 years, over 30 years now, 33 years, and having witnessed people go through so many things, it's always been amazing to me how people can find joy, they can find peace, they can find hope in some of the most incredibly difficult situations because of their relationship with God, because of the fact that His love does endure forever. We have a young family at Hope who's going through one of those situations right now. I want you to hear their story. Watch the side screens. I'm Holly Harris, and this is my husband, Brandon Harris. Things were moving along fine in our lives. We found out that she was pregnant, and it was just something we were really joyous about. And I just never imagined there'd be anything wrong. I didn't, didn't worry about a thing with regard to the baby's health until that day. Um, the doctor said that she wanted us to see a specialist with Duke because she had concern that the ventricles of John Ryan's brain were enlarged, which meant that fluid was building up, could be building up in his brain. Um, it's a condition called hydrocephalus, and if that was the case, they would need to do um, surgery the day after he was born to put a device in his brain to drain the fluid. Um, and that was a that was a really hard day. So the day came, November 29, 2012. He had a scheduled C-section, and we were excited, really excited. Yeah, I just uh, remember John Ryan being pulled out and just hearing his, his first cries, and the doctor's pulling him away to do uh, the initial tests and just being called over and you know, being told I could take pictures of him and then actually being handed the baby. Um, you know, this was something that I wasn't prepared for. You know, we both thought it was gonna be you know, six to 12 hours and, and then and learning that we'd be able to, to come away and bring him back to the room and that you know, all signs pointed to, to him being healthy there. So it was just a wave of emotion. It was like a, a gift from God we weren't expecting. Um, and the doctors really didn't know how or why uh, to explain the, the reasons for uh, him being as healthy as he was. And, and we both just really truly believe that it was just the power of prayer and everyone behind us uh, in God's hand just, just healing our son in the womb. In terms of our family life, things were going great. Um, having a baby was amazing. We, we were growing in ways we never expected to grow as a, as a, as a couple. Um, it was a very happy and fulfilling time in our lives and like we were so thankful and excited um, it was an awesome that was awesome we were actually on vacation we had a over the fourth of July week we had this wonderful we look back on it now as just this shining time before everything came crashing down uh, extended family week at the beach um, just healthy child a lot was fun we started noticing uh, he had uh, developed a bit of a lazy eye um, so we thought. Yeah, it wasn't until um, his eye really started to, to kind of swell and get a lot worse that, that we realized that, that it might be something a little bit more than that. Yeah, our pediatrician was immediately very concerned by the way that it looked. He hadn't seen anything like it before and made us an appointment the same day with an ophthalmologist in the, in the region. Actually, we were shown the MRI and we were shown the tumor and the biopsy came back as cancer. 
And so the next three to four days were the most devastating of our lives. So we waited to find out um, what we were dealing with. I know that when something like this happens, it can push people away from God and make people question and make people lose faith. And I've had moments like that for sure. Um, really scary moments or unexpected moments. Um, if I didn't have faith through this, I don't know how I would get through this. JR is, has been tremendous through all of this. Um, it's, it's, it's been outstanding, just his demeanor, how, how happy he always is. Uh, everyone that sees him just comments on his, his infectious smile. And uh, we both kind of believe that, you know, God is, is working through John Ryan and God has just given him this additional strength because just seeing how happy he is and um, it, it really is something that's, that's uplifted Holly and I. Uh, you know, this has been something, even as faithful as we are, you know, we have our ups and downs. We have our days where, where we're sad or, de or depressed, um, but just seeing our little guy smile and, and just, you know, realize what he's going through and it's not getting him down is something that really just is uplifting. And yeah, there have been times where he has been very sick from his chemotherapy and um, he still, it just, it doesn't get him down. There's still a light inside of him um, that even when he's unwell, he's, uh, there's just something really special there. For me, as somebody who two years ago today was a, was not a believer, um, I wanted to be a believer desperately, but wasn't there yet. Uh, before John Ryan was sick, I started spending time every day in prayer and meditation, and I pr started praying every day that there'd be a time in my lifetime in which I didn't have doubt, um, and I really believe that this is part of God's answer to that prayer. Um, JR's battle with cancer, we don't know how it's going to end. Um, we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know if there actually ever will be an ending. We don't know what to expect um, in the future, what complications he may have from his chemo and radiation treatments that he's receiving. Uh, we're somewhere in the middle of this journey right now. Um, Every once in a while, my mind will start getting into panic mode. Um, but I've been trained, and tra I think God has us in training right now, teaching us how to stop that and just call on Him when, um, when that fear starts to bubble up. And amazingly, it always, if, you can, if I can remember to stop panicking and turn to Him, then He instantly calms me down. And, reminds me just to give that over to him, faith and believing in God um, is the only answer to a hard time. So it's, it's the only way to get through it. There's no other, there's nothing else um, that can fulfill you or that can, can lead you to the other side um, of your pain. The power of prayer is something that, that Holly and I have just seen firsthand just is something that truly works and it's our hope that we can have the community of hope um, and, and friends and family of everyone else around just praying for our son um, that's all we ask from everyone is just to keep him in your constant prayers uh, and, and we know if that happens that uh, through God's uh, power and, and glory that 
we'll have a son in remission, hopefully here near in the future. I wanted you to hear that story because I think it offers an incredible perspective. Every one of us would say, man, if we ever had to go through that, that that's what we would want our reaction to be. But the problem is we don't realize what James says. It is the trying, the trials, the hard times of life where God develops our character, our perseverance, where he turns us more into the person that he has created us to be. But most of us, we spend our entire life trying to create heaven on this earth so we don't have to go through any tough times. But God says, you're going to have times. You're going to go through times of suffering and heartache. But you remember, one day you will get to experience heaven. In fact, after Easter this year, I'm going to do a first series I've ever done on the topic of, of heaven. I mean, we got a lot to look forward to. We ought to find out what it is. But I thought about, as I was listening to their story, how David says he heals your emotional diseases. I thought about, as she said, as I begin to worry and, and I'm kind of the doubt and the anxiety, I go to God and he calms me down. It's a perfect example of what we saw in Psalm 103. You know, as we wrap this up this weekend, I think one of the things that really leads to a heart of gratitude is, is what we'll call the discipline of noticing. So many gifts in our life, so many things that God is doing, we often miss just because we're kind of blind. We just don't take the time to notice. And sometimes we lose sight of just the, the sheer goodness of life or, or we'll lose sight of just how beautiful the creation is that God made just for us to enjoy or we'll lose sight of the love of the friends or the joy of work. And we forget that basically, regardless of what's going on in our lives, life is good. So I just want to leave you with this challenge this week as we head into Thanksgiving on Thursday to kind of prepare your heart for it and maybe help recreate in you a heart of gratitude. I would just say, begin today before you even go to bed tonight. Maybe you take a walk this afternoon. Just look around and notice and when you notice what God is doing in your life, simple things, take the time to say thank you. And when you wake up in the morning and your eyes open and you realize that God has given you the gift of another day, even before you crawl out of bed and get on about your busy day, just pause for a second and say, God, thank you. Or when you're able to look into the face of someone you know loves you and is always there for you and they respond with a smile, just say thank you. You know, when you eat something, something as simple as something tasting really, really good, just stop and say, God, thank you for the gift of taste. When you tell your hand to do something and it does it, say, thank you, God, for wiring me together like this. When you ask your teenager to do something and they do it, don't miss that opportunity. You know, say, thank you, God. When you sit down and pick up the paper and you begin to read the paper or something off of Facebook or you read a book and your mind can comprehend what you're reading, just say thank you. When you go to work and you're actually able to accomplish the task that you need to accomplish, say thank you. When you look out the window as you're driving or out the window of your home and you see the beautiful fall colors, just pause and say thank you. And let me tell you, if that's not enough, just remember that 2,000 years ago, God looked down at this messed up earth and he said, I got to get involved. I got to do something. And so he gave us his only begotten son in that manger that first Christmas who lived 33 years. Every step he took across Palestine knew he was one step 
closer to the cross for which he came so that his blood could be shed, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be forgiven. But not only that, he was put in the grave, but three days later he came back alive, eventually ascended back to heaven so that we also get to live with him one day forever and ever and ever and ever. My point is simply this. Regardless of what's going on in your life, you've got a lot more to be thankful for than you probably realize. So this week, as you're walking through the week, as you're thinking about Thanksgiving, and you realize God really has given me gift after gift after gift after gift after gift, just pause and notice and say, God, thank you. Thank you. It'll change your life. You'll have a heart of gratitude. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the fact that when we decide to follow you through what your son Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and we get to be reconciled back to you, you take us on as a project. Paul tells us that you begin a good work in us and that you're going to be faithful to complete it. You have us on this journey and, and that heaven's not now. Life is now. Heartache is now. Struggles now. Things that are not expected or planned on now. But one day, one day those things will be done away with. And Father, it helps us keep in perspective that in the big scheme of eternity, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, just a little bit of fog that burns off. But we'll have all eternity to rejoice with you. So God, we thank you that you are a God who is more than able to do in us what needs to be done. You're more than able to do more than we could ever comprehend and ever imagine. And Father, we, we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In your most holy, precious name we pray. Amen.